It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Hey, well, good morning. Great to be here this morning. It's our sixth, I think, uh, our platform leader said already, but in case you missed it, our sixth and final week of our Stay Positive series. Before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to our podcast listeners all around the world. And uh, because this is my first time speaking this month, uh, I like to give a, uh, a shout out to any countries who have entered our top 10. And uh, in July, uh, to our podcast, debuting at number eight, and I'm not going to ask you to guess, despite the fact that you're all geniuses. I'm not sure you will guess it, so I'm just coming out with it. Number eight uh, in July is Cambodia. So how about we welcome our new listeners from Cambodia? Fantastic. See, there you go. God uses new technology to reach people all around the world. How exciting is that? If you uh, missed any of the last five weeks of our Stay Positive series. I encourage you to go back. You can listen to them on our podcast, obviously, and, and take us wherever you are. Um, or uh, jump into our YouTube channel. And for the time crunch, we've got our messages only version. If you wanna, I mean, you're gonna wanna see this. So I've preached for three of those six weeks. And uh, that's just a great way to catch up and really get a sense of what God, I think, is saying to us during this season as a church. Uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, there is a coffee uh, company, coffee chain, probably you've heard of them, uh, called Starbucks. And um, Starbucks, uh, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Starbucks. They've rescued me many times um, because, you know, caffeine is still caffeine. But uh, I certainly don't consider it to have been my greatest coffee experience ever. But the sort of founder and longtime CEO of Starbucks is a guy named Howard Schultz. And uh, one of Howard Schultz's leadership philosophies and, and approach for Starbucks, he summed it up as this. The easiest way to ensure that your employees smile when they greet a customer is to only hire employees who smile all the time. And this is critical because Karen goes to Starbucks and Karen thinks that her job is to bring political reform by berating the baristas at Starbucks. And the reality is, even when Karen is doing her Karen thing, having just left Bunnings and uh, headed to Starbucks, it's a current cultural reference. Sorry for you if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Reese will tell you, he'll catch you up, or Neil, or anyone that works at Bunnings. They're required to smile, even at Karen. And, and, and they're required to smile when they're cleaning the toilets. There's this expectation that they're, that they're required to bring an enthusiasm and a passion into their everyday job, some of which is pretty mundane, pretty unspectacular, and maybe downright nasty. And it reminds me of something that Paul wrote. It's something that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. Now, Paul was one of the big heavyweights of the early church, and he would write letters of encouragement, sometimes correction, to the churches in the, in the known world at the time. This was a place called Colossae. And he wrote something to them, which uh, I actually, like it jumped off the pages of Scripture for me a couple of decades ago and has become one of my life verses. I mean, you know, I like all the Bible, but there's some things that are just like, boom. And this is one of those things. Let me, let me show you exactly what that is, what Paul wrote 
to this church in Colossae, he encouraged them, do your best, work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. And having had this truth leap off the pages of Scripture into my heart two decades ago, it's become one of the guiding motivations for me in everything I do. And I'm not saying I do everything perfectly, but this revelation that everything that I'm called to do, everything that I put my hand to, I'm actually doing it for Jesus. When you get that, when you see that, when you understand that, when you apply that, it is absolutely a game changer for you and for everyone that God's called you to influence and impact. And remember about 15 years ago, uh, being invited to teach a leadership class at a Bible college. And um, the person introducing me for this session, this lecture, said, uh, uh, just uh, this, this, e this evening, uh, we'd like to welcome uh, uh, Mark Pomery. He is the ultimate overachiever. And the person said it with this kind of sniggering kind of look on their face. And I still remember that because I was so ticked off if there hadn't been witnesses, things might have gone very differently in that moment. Because this is me. I, was, I, I work from this as my job description. My boss is Jesus, and the things that he's called me to do, he's called me to do it with him in mind, and of course, the people I'm called to, to impact in mind. So I just try to do them well. Like everything, again, not perfectly. I mean, I'll talk next week about all of my epic failures. Some of you, they're plainly obvious, I get it. But a, but a core motivation is this. The ultimate master you're serving is Christ, is Jesus. And this truth then can guide you in your job. You think your boss is your boss, but your boss isn't your boss. Jesus is your boss. So even if your boss is a bit of a knob, you can actually see past that and bring your best to honor Jesus. And by the way, you'll be fascinated at what Jesus might be able to do when you bring your best, knowing that you're serving Him. If you're a domestic CEO in this current season of your life, and you think, oh, no one ever thanks me, no one ever sees this, this is so mundane. Sure, yep, it is. However, when you understand that in that season of your life as a domestic CEO, you're ultimately serving Jesus, it actually can bring meaning to the mundane. When you're serving in an Elevate team, when you're leading an Elevate group, it, see, this is, oh, this is what I, well, when I serve in church, that's when I'm serving Jesus, and, but then in my family and in my job, I'm, I'm working, no, no. In everything we do, work from the heart for your real master is Jesus. And this, this uh, truth let me give you a little fun fact that makes this all the more startling, is Paul was writing that to slaves in Colossae, not Starbucks employees, not you who have a sort of, you know, typically normal-ish job. He was writing this to slaves. So if he's bringing this encouragement to slaves and telling them, listen, it sucks. Being a slave sucks. You get mistreated, you get overlooked, you get underpaid, you have to do things that you don't wanna do, you don't have a choice in it. When you do those things, understand, even if you're 
master, even if your boss is a jerk, understand your real master is Jesus. See the way my pitch and volume went up as the rain went up? I know, I'm pretty good. Like I told you earlier, I mean like the other guy told you earlier, I'm pretty good. Now, when it comes to enthusiasm, broadly speaking, there are two groups of people. Now, I say broadly speaking because I think there's more of like a range, but at the two extremes of the range are two types of people. And you know this, and you might even uh, be this, one of the two extremes. At at one end of of this uh, range are people who let the prevailing atmosphere determine their enthusiasm. So if the atmosphere in the home is up, they're up. If the atmosphere in the workplace is up, they're up. If the atmosphere in the friends group is up, they're up. If any of those things are down, they're down. They let the prevailing atmosphere determine their enthusiasm. At the other end of the spectrum are people who let their enthusiasm have an impact on the prevailing atmosphere. That they don't, that they walk in, the house at the end of a working day, even a, even a crummy working day, and say, you know, I am going to change the atmosphere for the better in my house, in my marriage. I'm gonna do that in my church. I'm gonna do that in my workplace. Even if in the lunch break room, all of the gossips are getting together like they do and swapping stories. And by the way, I heard them speaking one about me. You know what? I'm not gonna let that determine my enthusiasm. I'm gonna let my enthusiasm in this workplace bring climate change into the prevailing atmosphere. A few weeks ago, we had uh, uh, someone join our hosts team. Her name is Moira. She's got a million dollar smile. I call her million dollar Moira. I'm referring to her smile. She probably wishes I was also referring to her bank account, but maybe she is, I don't know. We don't ask you to hand over your tax returns to join a team yet. One of the things that Moira said to me when she was like, just kind of, she felt God, you know, said now's the time to take a next step and join a team. She's like, I'm not entirely sure, like which team to join, you know, just let's, let's kind of bounce that around. And I'm listening for clues, you know, what someone's passionate about or what's something God might have wired them specifically for. And she said, I remember uh, when I first turned up here, like day one, and Vicki Gibb, who's one of our hosts team, was outside with her welcome We've been expecting you T-shirt on and a million dollar smile and a warm greeting. She said, that, that, that impressed me in that very moment and has stuck with me ever since. And I said, you know what? I think maybe that's the role for you and you can be that for someone else and someone else's story can, can, can be that story into the future. Because, <laughs> and you go, yeah, well, duh. Of course you have friendly people at the doors. Well, mm, Yes, we do, but what if we didn't? What if we put some of you who aren't very nice? Hey, yeah, 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 I'm just having fun. But what if we put people who aren't very nice? What if we put people that, that, that whose attitude towards other people is that they're a bother? Oh, I've got to open the door for someone else. Hurry up. And so there's, a, there's, there's enthusiasm brings climate change for the worse or for the better. And we get to choose. So this morning, the message I've called, Replace Your Passion. 
And I'm essentially speaking to two groups here. Some of you, you're already peaking, or at least your passion and enthusiasm graph is trending upwards to the right. Others of you, potentially, your graph might be trending downward to the right. For those of you that's trending upwards to the right, I hope this morning is gonna be something of an affirmation, something of reinforcement, something of whatever you're doing, keep doing it, because it's working. And for the people whose graph is trending down to the right, I hope that this morning is actually incredibly encouraging for you. That, that God is actually wants to meet you this morning, not to shame you, not to call you out, not to say all of the people who have lost their passion, line up and let's all spit on them. No, that actually this morning, there's something that God would wanna actually intervene in your life. And if you've lost your passion or your passion's been waning, that He would actually use this morning to start the course correction to get your graph back trending up to the right. And we're gonna learn from David. Now, this is David, like Davo, David from David and Goliath fame, okay? So most people kind of know a bit about that story. I want to drop us into that story. So if you've got our Bible app, let's <laughs> it's actually not our Bible app, the Bible app that someone else created. Uh, open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Louisa, my wife, yesterday asked me had I corrected the brackets around the message, Reese, uh, correct, because, wow, that was, that was brutal. Could never unsee that. Here's the backstory. Uh, there's this slice in history where the army of Israel, which is God's chosen people at the time, had a, a, a nation called the Philistines and the, the Philistines were mortal enemies of the Israelites. And so in this particular moment in history that we're gonna drop into, the Philistines and the Israelites were out in a particular valley region uh, having a battle. And the battle was different from maybe like battles we think of today. They were having what's called a representative battle, which is a very resource efficient way to fight. Because what, what a, a representative battle requires is that, is that each army pick one person to fight one person from the other army. And whoever loses, representatively speaking, their army loses. So even the loser only has one person killed. It's pretty resource efficient, right? Well, the Philistines, they nominated their biggest, beefiest, tallest, most accomplished fighter, a guy named Goliath, to be their representative. And the Israelites, <laughs> they couldn't get anyone to volunteer to take on Goliath because he was a big, hairy, scary dude. And they couldn't, even they couldn't even conscript anybody. I mean, if you're in the army, you're not meant to have a choice. You're meant to get an order. And they got an order and they still figured a way to weasel out of it. Into this uh, battle area, David, his brothers, he was the youngest of his uh, clan. His brothers, they were actually a part of the Israel army. So they were there on the front lines. He was back home with his dad, looking after the family business, tending the sheep. On a particular day though, his dad, Jesse, wanted to send some cheese and bread and snacks to the brothers on the front line. I mean, what a, what a guy, right? So he got David to be the one to courier them to the front line. So David turns up at the front line, hands over the esky, his, finds his brothers, bread, cheese, dad says, hi, help yourselves. And, and Goliath, he sees a new guy. He sees a new player. He's taunted everyone else. He's intimidated everyone else. And he's like, oh, I better get busy on this guy before he gets any funny ideas about taking me on. So he starts calling out David and starts taunting him specifically. And this is what David responded with to Goliath. He said, 
uh, it's actually not my job to fight you. Uh, <coughs> someone else should do it. I'm only here doing an Uber Eats delivery. So I couldn't be bothered doing anything more. Plus the Umbrella Academy season two just dropped on Netflix. So let someone else take you on. I'm out. And on that response, David became famous in the pages of history because he went home to watch Netflix. I hope when you were doing our Elevate group notes uh, this week, Reese, you understood this is the fake version, right? You've been like, everyone, read this scripture. I'm like, no. Fake news, people. Not 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 45 to 46. Instead, David answered, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you, cut off your head as if killing him wasn't enough, and serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel. Fast forward to the very next scene, David sprinted across that valley at Goliath with his sling. Sprinted. Sprinted. Okay, keep that thought in mind. He sprinted at Goliath. Nobody else would even sign up. David not only signed up, he sprinted at Goliath. Okay. And the word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, which is in. Theos, simply translated is in God or filled with God. So when we talk about enthusiasm, it's, it's actually a byproduct of us having an intimate relationship with God. It's not about just drumming up good vibes. It's, not, it's actually about as our intimacy with God increases, as our relationship with God goes deeper, a natural byproduct, the fruit that comes out of that is a growing level of enthusiasm David, his enthusiasm wasn't because he was, oh, well, you're on this great 14-year-old. No, he wasn't even in the army. They didn't even bother to invite him. He's the delivery boy. And yet he was so filled with God. His relationship with God was so strong that everything he did, he did with enthusiasm, which was a byproduct of his relationship with God. And here's a snapshot of that. Here's a snapshot of of where David's enthusiasm came with, of how he came to be filled with God. We scroll back from the slice about David's response to Goliath. We scroll back when David first turned up to the front lines with with the esky full of food for his brothers. He saw Goliath taunting the Israelites. It became apparent to him that nobody was gonna actually step up. So he said to the king, a guy named Saul, I'll give it a go. And Saul actually tried to talk him out of it. Now, Saul didn't have any other volunteers, right? I mean, he could have said, eh, all right, kid, have a go. I mean, I'm not paying you. Easy come, easy go. You win some, you lose some. No, Saul was like, no, 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 kid. I'm, I, I can't even let you do that. You're too young and inexperienced. Those are literally the words that Saul used. You're too young and inexperienced. And David said to the king, listen, mate, 
I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whoa, big dude. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I didn't say easy come, easy go, win some, you lose some. I went after it, knocked it down and rescued the lamb. And if it turned on me, not the lamb, the lion or the bear, just helping you understand this clearly, I'd grab it by the throat. I'd wring its neck and I'd kill it. Lion or bear, pulp made no difference. I'd kill it. The Bible's not all PG, just in case you're wondering. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God alive. God, who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear, will deliver me from this Philistine. David's enthusiasm came because he knew God. He'd seen God at work in his past and he was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that the same God is gonna continue to work in him and through him into his future. That fueled his enthusiasm. And so it probably should come as no surprise that that same David wrote a psalm that's pretty famous, even famous beyond church circles. It's called Psalm 23. And unfortunately, it's read at funerals. And I, that just, I, I don't typically go to funerals. I went to a funeral a couple of years ago and I said to the, the, the people, uh, one of the persons there, uh, this is only the second funeral I've been to in my life. And she said, why is that? It's a true story. And I said, because all my friends are still alive. Anyway, but to the couple of funerals I've been to, this Psalm gets read, Psalm 23. And I wanna stand up and say, no, 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 no. This is not a death Psalm. This is a life Psalm. This is written by a guy named David who had a vibrant relationship with God, who was enthusiastic about God. And this is one of the things he wrote. God is my shepherd. I don't need a thing. You've bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk by my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook make me feel secure. You serve me a six course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. You replace my passion. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me all the days of my life. And I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Doesn't sound like a death psalm at all. Sounds like something that we could be experiencing here while we're still breathing. Now, let's fast forward. This, we were talking about David versus Goliath in 1 Samuel. Let's fast forward to 2 Samuel, where David's no longer a kid and he's now a king. So David the kid sprinted and defeated Goliath. Now we pick up history recording a slice of David's life as a king. Samuel wrote this, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. King David, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. Now, if you're reading this through the lens of Queen Elizabeth, you get it. She's not out there in Iraq digging trenches and fighting the baddies. No, she's back in Buckingham Palace having gin at 10 a.m. 
or is it 11? Anyway, doesn't matter. Point is, and stroking corgis. Point is, in this part of history, kings went off to war, which is why David met Saul at the front lines of the battle with Goliath, because King Saul was there with his troops. So David's now king. It was expected of him when his troops were sent off to war that he is the king at the time when, not if, kings go off to war. But David remained in Jerusalem. And whilst in Jerusalem, next verse, one evening, David got up from his bed while his troops were out fighting and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. Well, I don't have time to get into the story and I'm not sure this podcast will make it without an explicit warning on Apple Podcasts when it's released, if I did. But David slept with her and by slept, I, didn't, I don't mean sleep, did other things that should be done by married people, but well, she was married, just not to David. <laughs> and so now we're confronted with a guy who once sprinted into battle, volunteered when no one else would, now not even leave the bed, now not even leave the palace, now not even leave home to fight. And, 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 while, and while he was where he shouldn't have been, he did something he shouldn't have done. David took his eyes off his calling and focused on his comfort. And when we take our eyes off our calling and focus on our comfort, you will see the graph of your passion just start to trend downwards to the right. So fast forward a little bit further in history. God, who wasn't happy that his king was out looking at, I mean, perving on the neighbor for one thing. I mean, this is weird. And then summonsing her and then sleeping with her. And so God staged an intervention. So this isn't what his appointed king was meant to do. This was not worthy of the calling that he'd given David. So he sent a prophet named Nathan. Now, a prophet is someone that speaks on God's behalf. And sometimes a prophet will come and bring you encouragement and say, God, I feel God's speaking this to you and speaking that to you. And when that happen, happens, and if it's happened to you, it's like someone, someone that, that, that's trusted comes to you and says, I feel God wanting to encourage you in this area. Man, your heart is open. You're like, keep going, bring it on, speak some more. Other times God will send someone to speak on his behalf. And it's not, it's not so gentle. It's not, you're doing such a great job. So proud of you. It's, Listen! And this was one of those moments where Nathan kicked David where, where it hurts, verbally. And when that happens, when God sends correction to us, we literally have two choices. We can either stiff arm him, which is kind of like saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about, or even if you do, I'm not interested. But when we do that, when we fend off his correction, we fend off everything that he's promised on the other side of our obedience. 
We don't get to see that because we're off course. He wants to bring us back on course because there's a calling. There's things He wants to do in us and through us. And when we ignore that because it's too hard to take or we're enjoying sleeping with the next door neighbour or whatever it is that we're doing that's not focused on our calling, what we do is we miss out on what God's got on the far side of our, of our obedience. Well, thankfully, David did listen and thankfully, David did respond. And we know he responded because he wrote this. And I, it's, it's now recorded in Psalm 51. And I'm just going to give you the highlight reel. And this is not a fake news version, all right? This is after David's been confronted by Nathan on behalf of God. He said, generous in love, God, give grace. Give me what I don't deserve. Give me forgiveness, even though I don't deserve it. Huge in mercy. Wipe out my bad record. I've been out of step with you for a long time. Tune me into foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Here we go. Replace your passion. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Now, you may not have been perving on the neighbor. You may not having been doing the dance with no pants with your neighbor and uh, God honestly hope you haven't. So we can rule that out. He says presumptuously. But what other things might you, and I, this is not judgment, but just it's like, think about this because this could be you. It might not be. But what other things have you been focusing on that God hasn't actually called you to? Because sometimes we take the eyes of our calling because we, we, we get calendar creep. Things just keep landing on our calendar and we don't edit and we don't filter and, and we find ourselves lacking passion and enthusiasm because we're just exhausted. And God would say, did I tell you to do all those things, really? I don't know, that might be you. Maybe you haven't been looking after your, your health. You know, one of the biggest truths I ever learned is what you sow, that's what you reap. What you plant, that's what you harvest. It's an agricultural principle. It's actually a God principle. It's the law of the harvest. And one of the keys to understanding that when it comes to our personal energy levels, because a lot of people talk about time management and forget to talk about energy management. Because energy management, time management is almost redundant without also understanding energy management. Because there's things that we do that energize us and there's things that we do that sap us. Sometimes the things that are on our calendar, they might feel like a bit of pressure, but they might actually energize us. So he's like, well, I'm gonna give time to that because I know I'm gonna reap some energy. And other things we're like, I, I can fit that in, but I know it's gonna actually sap me of my energy. So you understand energy management is super, super important. You know that rest doesn't promote energy, rest doesn't reap energy, rest reaps relaxation, which is, which is important. But, but when's the last time you got up off the couch after a seven hour Netflix binge session and felt so energized? Well, I could take on the world, you know, like, oh my God, oh, it's exhausting. All that pushing of the yes, I'm still watching <laughs> notifications. If you want to reap energy, you actually have to sow energy. Ironically, a 20, 30-minute walk, if you do that consistently, will start to actually reap more energy in your life in the back end. But that's another thing. Sometimes it's energy management. Sometimes it's just life. Things have come, circumstances have come against you, dented you, dinged you. All, any or all of these things, and there's a longer list than that. 
can actually see our passion trending downwards to the right. And God would want any of us, if that's currently the trajectory of our enthusiasm, like David, to actually turn that around. So what I want to do right now is actually pray for you. And I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, not that we would judge you, but just to keep it simple. If that's you and you know that's you, if you think, yep, that looks about the trajectory of my passion graph currently, I want to pray for you. And I actually want to pray this prayer that David prayed. I actually want to pray this for you and pray this over you. And and I can't promise you that by praying what I'm about to pray for you, that there's going to be just an instant zap. There might be. I'm not God. I didn't tell him what not to do. But at a minimum, there might be a course correction. There might be the beginning of a pivot. There might be a revelation of some things you need to cut out of your calendar just to give space for your passion to rise up again. There might be some energy management things you need to address. There might be some relationships you need to distance yourself from because they, no matter how hard you try, they're just toxic and they bring you down and down and down. Um, Let me pray. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing David's Psalm 51 when I pray this. Generous in love, God, give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out our bad record. We've been out of step with you for a long time. Tune us into foot-tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing, bring us back from gray exile, put a fresh wind in our sails, amen. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.